Okay, so great to have you guys all with wow. us tonight and those of you who are watching on Zoom as well as on the live stream of Facebook. And I know a lot of folks, it seems like, come and look at the Facebook later. So, sorry, uh, we had a technical difficulty with my iPad, so we're using my iPhone tonight. So a little bit different. Hopefully the quality's okay. Good to see everybody who's here with us live. And um, are you guys good to continue studying for the next several weeks on Wednesday nights? Live people? Yes? Okay, if I have live people keep, here, I'll, I'll do it. And we'll keep preaching. It. What's that? Keep preaching already. Keep preaching already. All right. All right. So, um, yes. <laughs> okay, tonight, tonight, at the request of several folks, and all, I had also been thinking about this, we're going to go ahead and do, I'm going to pause on Moses. Remember, I started Moses and the Exodus last Wednesday. My plan is to be back to him by next Wednesday night. Um, in other words, as we um, are on the verge of April, which, by the way, will also be, will be on the verge of being totally mask optional here at First Presbyterian Church, Starkville. Uh, so that'll be exciting, um, officially. Uh, I know functionally, most of y'all are kind of, well, anyway. Uh, so, uh, um, <laughs> But I have I have reserved the uh, the option of like if if I go to uh, a baseball game and a baseball hits my mouth and knocks out a couple of my teeth, I will come in wearing a mask that Sunday and y'all will say, isn't Martin considerate and very health conscious to be wearing his mask today? All right. Now, let's move on. So tonight, instead of Moses and the Exodus, we'll put him on pause uh, for a week. That's the plan. Um, we are doing tonight the covenant of God's peace. I introduced this either two or three weeks ago on Wednesday night. It wasn't the main, you know, it was part of a study. Obviously, I've also introduced to you a couple times previously uh, God's uh, covenant of peace with Phineas, uh, the priest, uh, the son of Eleazar. Okay, so um, uh, we'll we'll connect back with that because all this connects. And if you're saying, well, covenant of peace, that sounds important. It's incredibly important as I laid out for you two, three weeks ago, um, kind of an introductory form. And as I also made more um, explicit in Sunday's sermon, right? On Isaiah 54, where we find specifically the passage in Isaiah 54, 10, about God's covenant of his peace. And what I said on Sunday, I'm gonna elaborate on today so we can cover some of these scriptures today. I kind of gave you references to a number of scriptures very quickly in a sermon, but it wasn't a Bible study. And um, the point is the covenant of God's peace is uh, the connection point into the new covenant. The covenant of God's peace is in effect the new covenant or bridges into the new covenant, the new Testament. So in other words, if you want to understand the new Testament, you need to be aware of the covenant of God's peace. And conversely, the covenant of God's peace is ultimately the new covenant or the new Testament. Okay. And so uh, one reason, of course, I emphasize this on Sundays, we were having communion and therefore I made the, well, I noted the connection that Jesus makes when he says, um, you know, I am the bread of life, he is referencing uh, the covenant of peace. He's referencing heavily, uh, very distinctly, uh, Isaiah 54. So, and of course, Jesus um, in the Last Supper says, this is the new covenant in my blood. He's, um, he's connecting, certainly with the Mosaic covenant, he's connecting with uh, the very explicit uh, statements about the new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel flow out of what Isaiah has already said. Okay, got me? All right, so we're going to run through uh, the covenant of God's peace. I got some highlight verses uh, here presented to you first, okay? So here we are. Um, Isaiah 54.10, again, I just talked a lot about it. And it is connected with this entire sequence. Well, you know, obviously with the entire book of Isaiah, certainly broadly speaking with Isaiah 40 through 55 in particular. And the suffering servant, the servant songs, 
and ultimately the suffering servant passage in 52 and 53 moves us into that's the foundation for having the covenant of God's peace. That's the foundation for having the new covenant. Okay, so um, here we are, though, Isaiah 54, 10. You see it at the top of your handout. Uh, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. In other words, the entire earth can pass away. Everything that we think will last forever can go. Uh, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And the covenant of my peace, remember I made a big emphasis on this. I think actually the old King James has the translation right. It is barit shlomi. It's the covenant of my peace. It's not my covenant of peace, okay? It's not there, it's, it's not that. It's, it's specifically the language is God is saying the covenant of my peace, uh, which is a particular emphasis, shall not be removed. You can take all the mountains away, the earth can pass away, but my, the, the covenant of my peace will not be taken away. And remember, I preached a lot on what shalom means and, you know, shalom means not just peace. And remember, when you're reading this, the covenant of God's peace, peace is kind of a limited translation of the word shalom. Remember, I talked about this on Sunday. Shalom means well-being, wholeness. Shalom is a big term. Um, and of course, I emphasized on Sunday, it doesn't simply mean the cessation of war. I mean, that's a very, that's a very puny translation of shalom. Uh, that's a very puny translation of peace. Um, all right, so that Isaiah 54.10, link central passage. Um, Ezekiel 37.26, elaborating the new covenant in Ezekiel. Okay, so you get Jeremiah, and remember, after Jeremiah comes Ezekiel. So Ezekiel, uh, God says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant. You know, Barit Olam. Okay, so this is the same language you're seeing over and over again. It's an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Now, how is that going to be fulfilled? God is going to be with his people. Uh, when you get to Jesus coming in the incarnation, John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling tabernacled with us. Okay. When you get to Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem, right? The heavenly city comes down and God himself will dwell with his people. Remember this? Revelation 21. So see how all that's connecting here with this covenant of everlasting peace, the new covenant. Okay. Now then Romans, Paul in Romans 11, 26 and 27, he's quoting specifically here to uh, what then Isaiah further or God in Isaiah further develops into in Isaiah 59 off of this axis point of 54. Um, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And no notice this. Paul is quoting from Isaiah 59 now. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And remember the way he takes away the sins, what Isaiah 59 is talking about connects us back to Isaiah 53. He's pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes, we are healed. You know, by, by his wounds, we are healed. Of what Jesus does on the cross, okay? So everybody see that, right? Okay, now then, Hebrews is very heavy with the new covenant. We're just gonna brush a few main points from Hebrews here. We're not doing an entire study of Hebrews tonight, believe me. But Hebrews uh, 9, 15, and 13, 20 through 21. Uh, the, Hebrews says several times that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Okay. And, and here's one of those key passages. Therefore, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. 
since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Well, what is that? Isaiah 53, linked to the cross, okay? Now then going on to uh, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, does everybody see that? I mean, Hebrews is basically an elaboration on Christ as the true priest and king of the new covenant. And now look at this, look at what you get. You're circling back around this peace language. Um, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, uh, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good uh, so that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So those are some highlight verses. In other words, to give you some of this scope of how these things connect. Any questions on that before we dig in more? Okay. All right. Uh, now let's go back. Let's not forget. I mentioned it, I think a few weeks ago here, and I also mentioned it very briefly, I think on Sunday. Uh, first, you've got the Noahic covenant, which is an everlasting covenant. And I put there in parens of peace. Now that language, that specific language in the Hebrew is not used back in Genesis 6, Genesis 8, or Genesis 9 in the same way we see it in, in the prophets, okay? Or by the way, in Numbers uh, with respect to God's covenant of peace with Phineas, the priest. But notice this, let's uh, turn your page over for just a minute and let me highlight this. I did not have time to preach on this Sunday uh, or the previous Sunday. I would have loved to, but just... We don't have time to do everything. So, um, but notice, um, notice at um, verse nine, everybody see kind of on the main part of page two there, Isaiah 54. And notice even the ESV heading. Now this is not in the Bible, it's just an ESV heading, but you notice what the heading in the ESV is for this chapter. What's it say? The eternal covenant of peace, right? So you're supposed to pay attention to that ESV translators are telling you that. Now, now look at verse, um, actually, let's pick up at verse eight. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your redeemer. Now that overflowing, right? Overflowing is picturesque, metaphorical language. Overflow, does that refer to wood? What do you think? Does that return, refer to, I don't know, um, what does it refer, refer to typically? What substance do you think of? Water, right? So you've already got this theme introduced that you're supposed to be kind of thinking about flood. But does the flood in Genesis 7 and 8 last forever? No. Okay, It is judgment, okay? but it doesn't last forever, right? So you're supposed to be like already kind of picking that up, but in case you didn't, it becomes really obvious by verse nine. Um, this is like the days of Noah to me, God is saying, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. Now, you're getting the same verse that you've already heard me preach on on Sunday and that I just talked about. And like I said, I didn't have time to do this dimension of this on Sunday. But notice now, you understand part of the hills, the mountains being removed and the hills being removed is not just permanently forever, but also visually at the time of the flood. Because what happens at the time of the flood in Genesis 7 and 8? Can you see the mountains? No. Y'all picking this up? It's pretty interesting. I mean, Isaiah is just rich. We really could, I really could preach on a chapter of Isaiah for an entire year if we really wanted to dig in. Okay, so anyway, that's what's going on there. So um, in fact, that is, that is, you know, the most immediate thing. But God is saying like, look, even if you can't see the, even at the floodwaters, right, of temporal judgment, you can't see anything that you thought was your stability. Believe me, my love is still there for you. 
That's what God is saying. It's really cool, right? And my love, is, my love has a plan, okay? And it's going to be this covenant of my peace. God is going to have to make this peace. Uh, and with um, Noah, I mean, Noah makes a sacrifice. Does, is Noah the one who, you know, forges, you know, restoration? Is Noah the one who forges restoration with, with God and everything? What do you think? No, it's God, right? Okay. So, um, my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of, of my peace. Uh, sorry, I'm doing the ESV there. But again, remember, the language is actually the covenant of my peace shall not be removed, says the Lord. Um, oh, afflicted one, storm tossed and not comforted. Now, you, you still got the little rumblings of the flood. You're supposed to be thinking about the flood. God is going to bring redemption through the judgment and through the waters of the flood. So that's, that's just the theme going on there. And then, okay, so that's just the Noah thing. So that, that's just something to highlight in Isaiah 54. Then, like I said, that was a little too much for a sermon, but it's really good. Okay, now um, let's go back to Noah for a minute. Um, Genesis, well, actually for a few minutes, I'm going to read this. How are we doing? Okay. Let me go to Genesis just so you don't miss this. Uh, Genesis 9. Uh, now, in Genesis 8, 21 and following, in the ESV, speaking of headings, it goes ahead and says God is making a covenant. But in fact, but it is kind of a covenant, but it's more like, like what Reformed people would call I don't know, a covenant. God, God's saying this in his heart at the end of chapter eight there. And chapter nine is the explicit expressed covenant, okay? And God blessed Noah, uh, chapter nine, Genesis, and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Remember, we already did this and talked about how that links back to uh, Genesis one and the creation. Uh, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. This is when we became carnivores, by the way. Okay. Uh, but you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And uh, for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Anytime there's a killing, you get this implication. Uh, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I shall establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood, by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So this is like a covenant of peace, okay? Um, and it is, as he's going to make clear, this is a lasting covenant. Um, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Notice God is making a covenant. We, we talked about this previously on a Wednesday night. He's making multi-levels of covenant relationship here. Earth, every living creature, Noah, his family, his seed. Uh, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. I will remember my covenant. God is making this covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the, there it is, read Olam, okay, so uh, everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth, okay? 
So that's that covenant. That covenant is a type or precursor leading to these other covenants we're talking about. And God in Isaiah 54 specifically invokes that imagery. Okay. Uh, now, moving on. Phineas. Many of you have, you know, many of you view Phineas as your personal hero, right? No, most of us don't know who Phineas is, right? Um, could you tell me who Phineas is right now? I already told you a few minutes ago. All right, so he's, he's a priest in the line of Aaron, right? He's a grandson. And um, Phineas, what happens is when one of the sons of Israel brings um, a prostitute, I believe she's Midianite, as I recall. Um, I didn't focus heavily on this passage or this background. Uh, I believe she's Midianite, prostitute, into the camp of Israel and defiles the camp of Israel. And Israel is already under a plague because of their sinfulness. I mean, you remember during the wandering in the wilderness, this is really not good. The Israelites are really not good, right? Y'all know this, okay? So Phineas, because of his zeal for the holiness of God and the holiness of the camp that God has commanded, Phineas uh, runs through, I mean, kills, um, you know, spears through. Uh, the man who's brought in the prostitute and the prostitute on the spot. Um, does God view that as a violation of you shall not shed blood? No, because Phineas is defending the holiness of God in his camp. Okay. Now, if anybody wants to stop me on this, we can talk about this if you want to. Uh, he's not the, the major player in our conversation today, uh, tonight. Um, but, you know, God is serious about holiness, right? We've talked about that before. Okay. So in any event, God commends Phineas. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest. In other words, the grandson of Aaron. Okay. Moses' brother, the priest. Um, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. In other words, the plagues were coming. It was already going to get worse. It was going to get worse because they're just, you know, even when I warn them with obvious physical signs, they're still going after prostitutes and trying to like pleasure themselves in the middle of the desert. Give me a break, God is saying. So Phineas is the one guy who stepped in and said, enough is enough. So he um, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, and you can see I have it highlighted for you on the handout. Behold, I give him, what does it say? What does he give him? My covenant of peace to Phineas. And as I said, when we did the overview of the covenants, the covenant with Phineas is often overlooked. It is a pretty important covenant. It's certainly not at the level of like Abraham and David and Moses for Israel. But uh, behold, I give him my covenant of peace and he shall have it and his seed after him. Even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now, um, what do you think this is a prophetic type for? Made atonement for the children of Israel. What would that be a prophetic type for? Jesus, right, and his atoning work, which Isaiah 53, leading into 54, is talking about. Y'all get this, right? Okay. Uh, what about, um, what about zealous? For his God. Does that remind you of anyone in any particular act? When Jesus shows up at the holy meeting place of God in Jerusalem, uh, even the first time, right, at the beginning of his public ministry, as John's gospel in chapter two tells us, does Jesus say, who cares, you know, Exchanging of, exchanging of money with a prophet, um, you know, keeping the Gentiles out of the house of prayer. Who cares? It's, it's, it's pretty. It's cool. 
Isn't it great to be in this holy place? Is that what Jesus does? How does Jesus respond to the temple grounds? Right, he brings judgment and his disciples later remember, quoting from scripture, that zeal for the Lord's house shall consume him. You guys remember this, right? So again, what do you think to whom is Phineas a prophetic type? Jesus in the temple, right? And when Jesus comes back shortly before his death, what does he do again? He brings judgment on the temple courts because zeal for the holiness of his father consumes Jesus. Now, is Jesus a superior atoner than Phineas? What do you think? Should I be preaching Phineas on Sunday, you know, as our salvation? What do you think? Was his atoning work sufficient for you all? Okay. Um, do you think Jesus's approach is somewhat superior to Phineas on um, you know, zeal. What do you think? Yeah. Does Jesus kill anybody? Who gets killed? Jesus. Got it? Okay. All right. So anyway, that's that's Phineas. Um, so now you know who Phineas is. He's actually pretty important. And again, the whole everlasting priesthood is actually not fulfilled in uh, the biological seed of Phineas, it is fulfilled as we're told in the New Testament by what is also going on in the Old Testament. I've talked about this several times because we did the priesthood thing before. Remember, link the promises to David in 1 Samuel 2 and um, Psalm 110, right? Verse four, a priest, in the order of Melchizedek, who is an everlasting priesthood that has no beginning and no end. And Phineas does not hit that mark. It's Jesus, right? So uh, not going to spend much more time on this and y'all, unless y'all have questions on the priesthood, but this connects to the covenant of God's peace too. This is the, you know, this is when we get this language with Phineas, who is a prophetic type pointing towards Jesus in a different way like Melchizedek is. Now, Melchizedek is a superior type to Phineas, but they're both really important. And all of this circles around new covenant and covenant of God's peace, okay? So then, uh, are y'all staying with me? I mean, this connects. Do y'all see how this connects? Right? Okay. All right, now, um, in Hebrews... Uh, 7, 14 through 22, I'll just go ahead and uh, give you this because like what I was just talking about. For it is evident that our Lord has descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Again, uh, Hebrews is quoting Psalm 110 there, verse 4. Um, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it is not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests uh, were made such without an oath. Uh, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Again, Psalm 110 verse four is a covenant from God. Okay. Uh, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Y'all see that? Okay. So that's, that's Hebrews. Now moving on to, um, I've already talked about Isaiah 54. Uh, we've looked at a little bit of this. Remember the new covenant language in Isaiah 54 includes the key verse, verse 13, that um, all the, the true children of Zion, in other words, the children of true spiritual Jerusalem or the church, right? Are going to be discipled directly by God. They're gonna be called by God. 
And so in other words, we are taught directly by God. We have a direct relationship with God and we are discipled by him and we obey and follow his word. This is the promise of the new covenant. And it's, it's back here in this covenant of peace language in Isaiah 54, right? Okay. Now, um, uh, we can also look at chapters 55 and 59. We'll do that later sometime. Uh, let me just keep tracking so you get this overview. And you guys can take this handout home, obviously, and go back through this. I know this is a lot, but what I'm trying to give you is the big, all, all these major points about the covenant of peace. So in Hosea, in Hosea, um, we'll also look at Micah later, okay, and other parts of Isaiah, like I said. But in Hosea 2, 18 through 20, and I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. What's that language like? What Hosea's prophecy is all about. The people of God are supposed to be the faithful bride of God. Okay. Um, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, instead in chesed, in steadfast love and mercy. Um, uh, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. So in other words, here's the deal. Here's the promise. God is going to establish a relationship where people actually know him personally and love him and are faithful to him. Okay. And that's what Hosea is talking about. And you can see that the language is like peace. There's not going to be, you're not going to be attacked by wild animals. Is that just, is God just talking about literal wild animals? What do you think? No, he's talking about bad empires and all that type of thing too. Okay. So there will be peace and you will know me and you'll be my bride and you can rest safe and securely in my love. That's Hosea. Okay. And remember God makes Hosea marry a woman who apparently is a former prostitute who goes back into adultery on Hosea. Y'all remember this, right? And God makes Hosea go. And when she's sold into slavery because she's been such a bad woman, um, after you know, God makes Hosea go, you know, at public auction, redeem his unfaithful bride. And God is teaching us and Hosea that that's what you guys are like with me. You know, that's what that's what I have to go through uh, to to have this marriage with you guys. Does that that's pretty shocking. Isn't it? Um, there are very few people who would line up and say, I'd love to be like Hosea. I'll take his job. Any, you know, when, when you say, God, whatever you want me to do, be careful. I would I, I would not say that word so readily. You know. All right, so uh, the new covenant, moving on, uh, kind of higher ground now, uh, above Phineas and the Hosea story, we move on to Jeremiah. Um, now, this is the classicest kind of central passage on the new covenant. Um, Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah 31, picking up at verse 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everybody see that? I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. You know, God's saying like, I, I, you know, I romanced them, you know, I proposed to them. I took them by the hand so they could be my bride in the promised land. And how'd they do out there in the wilderness? Was it, was it not like a nice engagement period no so um um for this is the covenant i will make with the house of israel after those days declares the lord i will put my law within them and i will write it on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So, you know, under the Mosaic covenant, we'll come back to this for Israel. The, the central component is 
God is going to be our God and we're going to acknowledge him as our God and we will be our people and he will live with us and we will live with him. Okay. Just like it's supposed to be before the fall. That's, that's the, that's our target. Okay. Um, and, and he says, he's going to achieve this because he's making this new covenant where he's going to for, forgive our iniquity and he's not going to remember our sins. And, and this is for all his people. Now, this isn't like a, just a kind of an individual one-off thing. This is for his people, Israel. Um, so that's, that's like the central passage on the new covenant. That's really explicit. Okay. Hebrews quotes that extensively uh, in Hebrews chapter eight. Let's move on to Ezekiel though. For uh, picking up the new covenant in Ezekiel includes some of these passages. Uh, 16, 59 through 63. For thus says the Lord God. Oh, little side lesson for Bible reading. This is just, this is pretty standard in English translations. You see the where, you know, a lot of times I point out to you when it's all caps L-O-R-D, that means it's the English translation, so to speak, or representation of uh, the four letter, you know, four Hebrew letter Yahweh, okay? Here, it is, you know, like capital L, little O-R-D, and then all caps God. What does that signify? I thought I should go ahead and tell you that. So I put it in the parens there. That's because in the Hebrew, you've got the word Adonai, which means like sir or, you know, your highness kind of thing. Okay. Adonai is like that. And then the personal covenant name, Yahweh. And you would never know that, though, in the English, would you? So that's why I pulled it out for you. Y'all see that? So you get this on Wednesday night. I usually don't have time to give you all this on Sunday. So anyway, uh, that's Adonai Yahweh. Okay. For thus says Adonai Yahweh, I will deal with you as you have done. You who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Nevertheless, I mean, this is incredible. You know, that first verse that I just read, when you think God's going to say the hammer is coming down. You, you thought the flood was bad? Wait till you see what I got for you next, okay? But look at this. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Isn't God great? <laughs> this is incredible. Um, then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder or your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am the Lord so that you may re remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you've done, declares the Lord God. In other words, uh, you're not gonna have any pride in you, which is the way we're called to come to faith in Jesus, right? We're supposed to humble ourselves. We're supposed to say, I am worthy of nothing. Okay, that's the way. So that passage is like how we're supposed to come to salvation. Okay. Um, then uh, 34, 25 and 26. I will make with them a covenant of peace. Do y'all see that? You can circle covenant of peace. There's that language again. I will make with them a covenant of peace. And remember, peace means we are right with God. And with everybody else, or at least with the people of God, okay? We're whole. It's not just that we've come to temporary agreement so we don't kill each other. That is not peace. Peace, shalom, means wholeness, wellness, full-throated, full-fledged relationship with God and with everybody else, okay? Um, so um, I will make a covenant of peace and rid uh, the land of wild animals. There's that imagery again, right? You already had it in Hosea. Okay, get it here. Uh, so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the forest. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is retro, you know, reference back to God coming down and being with the children of Israel, right? After they get out of Egypt, okay? So God says, look, the animals aren't gonna attack you and I'm gonna come and be with you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Again, that is the target 
of the entire Old Testament, in fact, the entire New Testament too. A lot of times we don't think like that. We say the target is to get me out of death and somehow zapped up to heaven. And it's like, no, 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 there's a bigger picture going on. There's an entire communion going on and there's an entire restoration and big plan God has. And your our salvation is part of that story, okay? So um, 3726 already went over that in the intro. Hebrews 8 um, on the new covenant. Hebrews 8 on the new covenant. Okay. Let me stop because I know I want, I'm pretty pleased we got through all this scripture um, and I've got a little bit of time here. Do y'all have questions about this covenant of peace? Do you have questions about the way this covenant of peace language equals, so to speak, the new covenant? Can you see that with the scripture? Can y'all see that? Okay. Um, so it's all one in the same. And again, um, you know, you know, I'm preaching on Isaiah right now. So I think Isaiah, I'm really focused on Isaiah is the greatest, you know, I mean, uh, incredible piece of scripture, but it is really interesting to me that everything links through Isaiah. Okay. I have a question. Yes. So there's a chronology in scripture, not necessarily how it's presented to us. Yes. It's been reorganized on a timeline. I get that. And certainly in the New Testament, Jesus all others make reference to Old Testament scripture. Yes. Do the later prophets in the Old Testament specifically reference stuff that came before them in a way sort of like we see New Testament references Old Testament? I mean, yes. I mean, I know there's some divine, you know, obviously things at work there as well, but, you know, that. I guess from a scholarly standpoint, is that where they where they pull from as well? You know. Yes. So this is a really good question. So Jim, I hope you could hear it, but I'll I'll repeat. Jim's question is, okay, like with the Old Testament and specifically with the prophets, but I think generally with the Old Testament, um, you know, do do the Old Testament writers and very specifically the prophets quote each other in the way that the New Testament does? Um, and the answer is actually not so much, okay? Mm -hmm. However, that doesn't, that's a, not an absolute answer because there is dialogue going on clearly among the prophets. Uh, for instance, I mean, we'll come back to this, but the, uh, there's a peace passage in uh, Micah, you know, about beating the plowshares. that's also in Isaiah. It's, it's the same. Clearly a reference. Yes, so clearly a referencing going on. The Hosea and Isaiah, they seem to be, I mean, you know, they're dealing with the different context of North and South, but like you can see, like in just the little example I gave here, there's, there's a dialogue going on. And I, I assume, I, well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're hearing reading some of each other's things. Now, and clearly, and then back to your next question, once you get in the chronology, definitely. For instance, a classic example is Daniel, right, is very aware of the Jeremiah timetable for the return from the exile. So it's not, you know, it's not at the same level as they're sitting there with uh, an entirely completed compendium of every other prophet that's come before them. And it's, it's so obvious like it is in the New Testament, but you definitely have these examples like the Daniel thing, um, like Micah, Isaiah matching up on, you know, and Hosea. And Hosea. Yeah. So does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. yeah I just, I, I never really thought about it that way. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of how often Old Testament passages are brought up in New Testament teaching. Mm -hmm. But it seems like, especially in these studies, you know, that that's also the case within the Old Testament. Within the Old Testament. On the other hand, which is why I kind of said not as much or not so much, is it's surprising to me that we don't see more of it, actually, if you focus on that question you're asking, Jim. Yeah. Because, you know, okay, so the sequence, everybody, is you got, I, I mean, as far as major league, southern, you know, prophets, the major league ones, uh, the Judah, okay, Judah relating to Jerusalem, relating to Jerusalem, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, 
Ezekiel. To a certain extent, it's surprising to me that Jeremiah isn't referring more directly, okay, and definitely Ezekiel, you know, what's, what's going on here. So that's kind of interesting. And I think, you know, part of the deal is, uh, you know, that the tradition is um, Manasseh had Isaiah, this is just tradition, it's not in the Bible, but the Jewish tradition is that Manasseh, the king of Judah, had Isaiah sawn in half, okay? And for all we know, a lot of Isaiah's writings were kind of like underground and maybe unavailable for, you know, we don't know when I, you know, in other words, like right after Isaiah got sawn in half, if he was sawn in half, you shouldn't assume that, well, yeah, like everybody in town was reading Isaiah. <laughs> it's probably like, you know, that old guy, you know, and he told us, look, he told us we were going to go down and look, Jerusalem's still fine, even though the Assyrians beat the stew out of us and, you know, uh, basically totally decimated Lachish and everything. Look, we're still standing and God is never going to let his holy house go down in Jerusalem because God lives there. In, in the temple. God will never let Jerusalem be destroyed. So you can see that Isaiah was a crackpot. There's probably a lot of that going on and maybe his stuff was not available. You know, probably like years later, during the exile and after the exile, because Isaiah's book, as it's been um, put together, is clearly um, a compendium. It is not, it, Isaiah itself, is not clearly chronological. I mean, there's things going on that are like, wait, okay. So, um, and it, it probably took a lot of time, actually. So he may have, everybody, I mean, like, you know, people say Isaiah wrote all this. Well, he, he may have written it. Some other people may have taken some of this down. And this, a book this massive does not happen, you know, overnight. So I think that's part of the answer to my question about that. Um, and definitely, you know, Jeremiah goes down, right? Um, I mean, Jeremiah, is run out of town on a rail, uh, you know, because these guys are saying all, all the big church prophets are wrong. You know, you got to understand these prophets are not the popular preachers. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they are not the people that everybody's watching because everybody's watching and listening to the guys who make them feel good and energized and wasn't that a great service and we are going to win and God will never allow his temple. To, and he's going to wipe out the, you know, the infidel anyway. And we're just waiting because it's probably going to happen next year. There's going to be a revival and God's going to make it all happen. Amen. Amen. Okay. So these guys are not Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are saying, and particularly Isaiah and Jeremiah are saying judgment's coming. Now God is going to prevail, but you're going to have to go through tribulation major league tribulation and judgment is falling on jerusalem and you think god is handcuffed into preserving his temple now he's going to let it be destroyed and then ezekiel tells us his spirit leaves the temple before the babylonians just uh you know um uh, you know desecrate it and destroy it so they're not popular which means you know um, I mean, it would make sense, though, that Jeremiah would be saying, yeah, like Isaiah said, right? But I think it's probably not as available to him. Does that, does that help? Yeah, it, but it's, it's pretty interesting that they would be that independent yeah. and still have these references. Yeah. Well, again, it, and it's not. It's, mm -hmm. it's all divine inspiration. But it's, it's divine inspiration. Yeah. It's divine inspiration, but I think they're aware Jeremiah is surely aware of some of what Isaiah prophesied. Yeah. And Ezekiel is surely aware of what, and these guys are, these guys are great intellects, you know. So, um, all right. So I have just a few minutes to. Yeah, I pulled you off the rails. That was really good, though. That was good. Did y'all, was that helpful? Okay. Uh, very good question. I love getting a question. That's good. Um, Hebrews 8. Let's just go to Hebrews 8. We'll see what we can do with Hebrews 8 briefly to close up tonight on the Bible study. Hebrews 8, which goes to this whole new covenant thing, mainly quoting from Jeremiah 31, but also picking up on, as I say in the notes to you, um, picking up on Jeremiah 24, I specifically quoting from Isaiah 43 and alluding to Isaiah 54 and 59. Um, now, the point of what we are saying is this. 
We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high, a minister in holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus as it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Uh, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been occasion to look for a second. Uh, uh, for he finds fault with, uh, with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. And again, Isaiah is talking about this new covenant. And here we're quoting directly from Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. You've already, we've already read this. I won't read through this again. Let's go on to verse 13. I mean, I've read it in Jeremiah, okay? Um, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So the covenant of God's peace ushers in the way we are saved, ushers in the new covenant through which we have direct access to God and can be with God truly forever. Because the old covenant, under the old covenant, Israel never fulfilled what Israel was called to do. Only Jesus does. Likewise, for us, the sole basis of our communion with God is through Jesus. Don't ever get fooled into thinking that you add to that, that we add to that, right? So, but it's a covenant of peace that we can be made whole in our relationship with God and with each other. And the church is supposed to reflect that peace and that wholeness. We'll talk a little bit more about that on Sunday. And um, it's good news, isn't it? Because like I said in, in the last sermon this week, do you think the world is achieving peace? Are we gradually moving towards greater peacefulness in the world? What about the nation of the United States? Feel more peaceful than it was 50 years ago? What do you think? No way, right? We need a peace that's from God, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for this time together and thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you that you invite us to um, learn your word and be curious about your word. But Lord, we also pray that you will call us to, in the power of your word, live by it. And uh, Lord, not of our own worth, but of your grace and your spirit, be witnesses and people who live the word and do the word in our relationship with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.